Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. Today I'm joined by Faye McGuinness. She's the head of workplace wellbeing programmes at Mind and also the lead of Mental Health Partnership, Our Frontline. I'm going to be finding out what Our Frontline is and how it supports people who work in healthcare and education. Uh, So MIND are here to make sure that anybody with a mental health problem gets the help and support that they need. And we have a goal of supporting one million people to have good mental health at work by 2021. So I work in the team that oversees all of the work that we do to work with employers to ensure that they are prioritising workplace mental health. That must be really interesting at the moment in particular with all the changes going on in terms of the way people are working. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We knew that before COVID, there was already a crisis in terms of workplace mental health. We knew that the cost of poor mental health at work to employers was around £45 billion every year. And we knew that around 300,000 people were falling out of work because of poor mental health. So before COVID hit, we were already seeing an issue in relation to workplace mental health. But many employers were starting to really prioritise it and understand that actually um, prioritising workplace mental health was good for business. Um, And then when COVID hit, obviously, uh, employers and employees see themselves facing a completely new new situation, um, new ways of working in terms of people being remote, working from home, kind of losing that face to face contact, being out of the office environment. And for many people, you know, that way of working has seen significant impact on their mental health um, in terms of that feeling of isolation that feeling of burnt out, not being able to kind of balance that work-life balance. So yes, we've seen a real impact on, on people's mental health as a result of that, particularly in the working world. 
Can we just go back to the start of what you said there? Because that's all really interesting. Um, but you started off sort of saying that before sort of the corona crisis, um, there was also a crisis just in um, workplace mental health. What was causing that? So we know that there were many factors um, causing poor mental health work. Um, so there, there are a range of things that, that we hear from, from uh, employees. So for, for many people, there's a kind of stigma that still exists in, in the workplace. So many people feeling like they're unable to be honest about their, their mental health and open about um, them maybe not feeling at their best. So we know that stigma is still a massive cause um, of people not getting the right support at work. But there's been a huge amount of work done over the past um the past years uh, through the work that Mind and Time to Change have been doing uh, as part of their partnership with Rethink Mental Illness to really tackle stigma, um, particularly in the workplace. So stigma has been a real issue. But we also know that for many people, that kind of culture of working in an environment where they feel like they're maybe not able to get the right support for their mental health, whether whether that's through their line manager, whether that's through their kind of um, HR teams, or that kind of lack of trust in being able to kind of reach out for support to those people in their organisation where where they might be able to turn to if if they felt they could trust people more. So we we see that real issue in terms of that kind of culture piece and that kind of lack of trust um, in terms of reaching out um, for support. But also we know that there are many drivers impacting people's mental health in the workplace. So we hear about kind of long working hours, organisational pressures, uh, lack of flexibility, lack of work-life balance. So all of those things that we know can drive mental health in the workplace and I think you know for many years we've spoken about health and safety but the reality is that we've really spoken about the safety side of health and safety Um, and I always talk about the fact that you know if you were in the office and you know there was a hole on the floor and you fell down and you broke your leg then your employer would absolutely make sure that that hole was covered up and that you couldn't fall down and break your leg again. Um, but we don't necessarily do that for, for mental health. And, and, and we really do need to work towards creating psychologically safe working environments where people feel like their mental health is prioritised. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, what are your thoughts about how we can bring about genuine change? The reason being I'm asking is just sort of for my own sort of working life, I've been through different situations and it feels sort of like it's sort of potluck, really. You know, one place you might get a really supportive manager who's really open-minded and sort of knowledgeable about, about mental health stuff. Somewhere else you might get someone who's really not so flexible. Um, and, and what we're getting at the moment, I think, um, is a lot of sort of businesses might sort of do a hashtag when it's sort of World Mental Health Day. They might sort of pay lip service to uh, supporting people with mental health issues. But when then when when it actually comes to practically supporting people pretty much every day across the board um it's it's really not done so much so what sort of advice can you give yeah absolutely so I think I start by saying that we have seen many organizations take some great strides but we still have a very long way to go and so something that we launched back in um uh, September last year actually was something called the mental health at work commitment And that commitment is a set of six standards that we recommend all employers sign up to as the first steps to prioritising workplace mental health. And so what we do with that uh, commitment is we really look at how you tackle the causes of poor mental health at work, how you promote well-being for everybody and how you provide support for people that have mental health problems. So actually, you're covering the whole spectrum in terms of the early intervention and prevention side of things, but also making sure that you're providing the right support. For your employees should they need it. So we've got over 500 organisations that have signed up to that commitment so far, which is really positive, but we really are encouraging more employers to sign up for, 
up to that. So, you know, like you say, we've seen many employers for many years do what we would call the low hanging fruit, you know, some awareness raising over here, some training over here. But what we want employers to fundamentally think about is how they can better design work for good mental health. And that will take time. That takes culture change. Um, that takes some tough conversations. That takes listening to people that have, you know, mental health problems and hearing about their experiences in the workplace. But actually, you know, you can start with those small steps, sign up to the commitment. It's a really good framework for employers to sign up to. And what we're asking employers to do is just to start that journey. But it's also really important to make sure that you're providing support for people that are experiencing poor mental health who, or who might be struggling. And that's really what we're trying to do with the Our Frontline campaign that we launched in April this year, particularly to support those on the front line in response to the coronavirus, because having that support for the people that need it when they need it is absolutely vital. Thanks for mentioning that. So tell us more about um, that. So it's a partnership, isn't it, Our Frontline? Absolutely. So it's a partnership between Samaritans, Mind, Shout and Hospice UK with support from the Royal Foundation of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. Um, And we launched it in in April to provide round the clock one to one support and online mental health and bereavement resources to frontline workers and key workers. Um, And really, we did that because we felt that the strength of us coming together as charities meant that we could do more. Um, And we recognise that these are groups of people particularly those in our NHS or in our social care that were already facing really challenging roles um, and really challenging um, experiences. So we knew immediately that the coronavirus and the work that they were doing to really tackle that was going to have an impact on their mental health. Um, So we've been providing uh, support through um, ourfrontline.org and we've been providing toolkits and resources that are tailored to each of those audiences but also providing the opportunity for people to text or call and speak to a trained volunteer for a conversation about the things that they might be experiencing at any time of the day. Because, mm. I mean, a lot of those jobs are, you know, stressful at the best of times, but during the pandemic, I mean, I can only imagine how difficult it must be, especially sort of if you're working in A&E or, well, I mean, any of the, the key workers, it's, it's been really difficult. Um, what are the key things you're doing to support them? Yeah, absolutely. So like you say, there are many kind of things that are impacting on on their mental health during this time. And some of the kind of themes that we've seen is around this kind of uh, feeling of, of, again, stigma, I go back to that point, this kind of feeling of self stigma in those um, in those workforces that they're there to support people, you know, they're there to help people. So this idea that they can't then reach out for help and support if they need it. And actually, what we've seen is with the kind of hero narrative that's been promoted, which, you know, has been intended to communicate the value in which we hold those sort of healthcare professionals could also be putting their mental health at risk because you know that that kind of language of hero means that if you're a hero can you really reach out for support so the kind of stigma piece has been really important and what our frontline has been able to do through its kind of campaigning and messaging is to really say to people on the frontline and our key workers that it's okay not to be okay it's okay to reach out for support should you need that support. And that's been a really vital part of the campaign. And I think that's why we've seen such such success in people kind of reaching out and wanting to kind of connect with the campaign. Um, So as I say, we've been providing kind of information and resources 
we've been providing tech support, we've been providing phone support all through our front line. And recently, we've also bolstered um, the trauma counselling to health and social care and other emergency services staff um, so that they can actually access that when they're ready to do so. And we've also um, been awarded some funding to support those on um, in our emergency services. So those working in our police, our fire and our ambulance services, because we recognise the impact on the work that they that they do as well. Mm. It's really interesting what you said in there about sort of the, the pressure of being a hero. That never really occurred to me, you know, when we were all clapping for the NHS and sort of thinking, oh, what a wonderful job they're doing. I mean, because I've never worked in that role, I've never sort of been sort of that side of the fence. But I guess that is an added sort of pressure to maybe feel like you're, you have to be perfect. You have to be sort of, you, nothing can go wrong with you. You know, you have to keep going. That must be a huge pressure on people like mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw that already in this kind of workforce, particularly in health and social care, you know, this idea that you are the carers, um, you know, you work for the NHS, you're there to care for patients. So we'd already seen that that people, you know, in those in those workforces struggle sometimes to think about their own mental health or prioritise their own mental health, which is completely understandable. And we, we understand that. But actually, you know, the kind of hero narrative and, and while we understand that it was done um, from a place of, you know, care for, for people in those workforces, it can kind of add to that stigma that that people can't reach out for support. And, and actually this feeling that if you're there to support other people and get them through the crisis, if you're the hero in the situation, then how can you possibly ask for help and support? And so the work that we're doing through our mm. front line is really reminding people that it is OK not to be OK. It's OK to reach out for that support. And I think the the real positives of our front line being delivered by the partners is that it is outside of people's own organisations, because often when you're feeling that self-stigma, you're less likely to reach out for support within your own organisation because you might have that fear that, you know, other people might find out or it's not going to be confidential. So the beauty of our front line is that it is a confidential service and people can reach out 24 hours a day should they need that support. Brilliant. Um, could you talk me through, uh, basically pretend I was somebody who's a key worker and I've, I've rung up or I've texted, what actually happens? Uh, yeah, so um, if you're, depending on whether you're um, texting, which is sort of led by shout, or the call service, which is called by Samaritans. So you'll be greeted by a volunteer um, and the volunteer will just ask you some kind of questions. And I think it's really important to say that, you know, the services are confidential. It's not about prodding people. It's about allowing people the space for them to bring what they need to bring to the conversation. So there are some kind of questions that are asked by the volunteers just to get a bit more of an understanding of the kind of issues or problems the person's faced. So each call will be tailored to that individual obviously. Um, so some of the kind of things that we've been seeing or hearing, particularly through the shout text line, is this um, feeling of people feeling exhausted, um, people feeling like they need to express their anger or frustration. So seeing it as an outlet for some of the issues that they're facing. Um, but we've also been speaking to people that are having lots of sleep difficulties, such as insomnia and nightmares as well, um, and really saying that they're finding it difficult to adjust to the kind of new post-lockdown arrangements. So they're kind of some of the themes that we're seeing come out. Um, so what we've got is we've got those kind of volunteers and professionals at the end of the phone that are able to kind of talk people through their experiences, help normalise some of those experiences and, and recognise that there are probably many people feeling similar, you know, similar 
things um, and then also um, provide information of where people might be able to go on and get further support um, because obviously these services are there for people that phone that, that might be feeling like they're in crisis but it's really about making sure that they've got somebody to listen to and to make sure that we can then signpost, signpost people on to the right support should they need it. Because mm, I imagine in a lot of these professions whether it's the NHS or um, the police or the ambulance or, or whatever um, it might be sort of harder to have those conversations within the people that you work with or even your friends perhaps so it's it's specifically um when you're chatting to somebody is it sort of a, a general expert or is it somebody who will have worked in that field yep so it will be a sort of a range of people so it might not necessarily be a general um expert but it will it will be somebody that will have experience in mental health somebody who has experience in trauma and somebody that has experience in obviously listening and talking to people in the context of mental health problems um and i think when we first set up our frontline in april it was very much that kind of immediate response so we wanted to to make sure that we had people on the phone ready to talk to those calling up but actually as we've moved the campaign and kind of thinking about the future of the campaign what we really want to make sure that we're doing is we want to help frontline workers acknowledge what they've experienced identify their stage of recovery so where they're at and then get them the support that they need um, and so I think that's really important um, and I think you know we're we're really trying to kind of manage the campaign amongst all of the kind of different situations that we find ourselves in so obviously you know we've got these local lockdown situations currently happening at the moment so we're really focusing on how we can support those frontline workers in those particular areas as well so as you can imagine you know there's there's lots that we're learning through this work and we're continuously trying to make sure that the information we provide and the advice that we're providing is really responding to kind of the different situations and the uniqueness of, of the situations that people are finding themselves in. Yeah, absolutely, because it does need to be really quick and responsive these days, because as you said, um, you have different sort of areas of the country suddenly having to go into lockdown. And so people might go from being sort of reasonably sort of OK one day to sort of really sort of stressed and sort of up against it and dealing with all kinds of challenges the next. It's really hard, isn't it? Um, what Absolutely. advice would you give? Um, sorry. Oh, sorry um, what advice would you give to people? <laughs> I was just going to say, um, what advice would you give to people working on the front line in these sectors at present, in general, in terms of looking after their mental health day to day? Absolutely. So I think what we recognise with many of these, um, many of the employees working in these these workforces is that the idea of self-care can feel very difficult for them. Um, so we, we completely understand that, but actually is about allowing some time for them to think about what is good for themselves and what they need to do to look after themselves. So we have something that we call a well-being action plan. And we recommend that everybody completes one of those wellbeing action plans. And what it does is it gets you to think about the small things that you could do to look after your own mental health and well-being. But it also enables you to think about some of the signs that you might start to display if you're not feeling at your best. Um, and we recommend that if you trust um, a colleague or your line manager or somebody that you work with to kind of share that information. So that they're able to kind of spot those signs and they're able to see maybe if you are struggling as well. So being able to do some kind of focus on self-care is very, very important. I think it's also really important mm. for, um, for you to know where you can access that support if you feel ready to reach out for it. 
So for some people, you know, they can talk to their family and friends, but for many, they don't want to feel that burden. So knowing um, that there is something like our front line if you need it and just making sure that you have access to that information should you need to reach out, I think is really, really important. Um, and I think, you know, I think what we're going to see over the coming months is kind of an increase in people kind of starting to experience the impact of the trauma that they've been through. We're probably going to see an increased risk of PTSD. Um, and actually, we need to make sure that the right services are there to support those frontline workers in managing and dealing with that. And I think one of the other things that we're really going to see a lot of is this kind of idea of moral distress and moral injury, which is you know, essentially defined as the, the kind of distress caused by actions or inactions which violate an individual's moral code. And whilst that's not a mental health problem in itself, it actually is a risk factor for a range of mental health problems, including things like depression and PTSD. And if you think about these workers, they've had to make some really, really tough decisions over the past six months and some of them may have gone against their moral code you know it's not necessarily decisions they might have wanted to make outside of this COVID situation so we really do need to keep an eye on on these workers in terms of the kind of impact of trauma and that increased risk of PTSD and make sure that the right services are there when they need them to support them for for that. I mean it does sound, sound quite worrying but I mean as you sort of said with your plans, forewarned is forearmed, really, isn't it? Hopefully, if people can think about this stuff sooner rather than later. I mean, it must be such a difficult job for all the people working in this section. Um, what can family and friends do to support them um, when they're sort of doing their work or just generally? Yeah, so I think there is a role there for family and friends in in being able to listen. Um, and I think we can't underestimate the power of listening. Um, I think it's really important that friends and family are armed also with signposted information. So, you know, knowing who the kind of GP is, knowing that things like our frontline exist, so that if they are worried about a family or, or a friend, that they can sort of say to them or suggest maybe that they could be signposted for support. I think, you know, it's a lot of uh, pressure on family and friends who, you know, obviously feel worried for their loved ones, them themselves are dealing with the coronavirus situation. So we have lots of information on the MIND website about how you as a family and friend member might be able to support somebody that's maybe A, struggling at the moment or or B, experiencing a mental health problem. So I'd recommend family and friends go and look at that information online because there's some really helpful tips about what you can do, how you could start a conversation. But I think also it's really important for family and friends to know that, you know, it's not their job to be mental health professionals, but what they can do is they can listen and they can signpost and and they will know the people that, that you know, that they're either married to or their parents to or their friends with better than anybody. So they might be able to spot those signs earlier on. So keep an eye out for those signs and make sure you're armed with that signpost information. Hmm. Do you have any advice for listeners as well in general, sort of whatever they do in terms of a job, um, in terms of looking after their mental health at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's fair to say that collectively um, we have all felt a kind of level of anxiousness about this current situation. You know, there's been a lot of unknowns, there's been a lot of worries. And so I think, you know, that feeling initially that we kind of all in this together was, was, was quite 
quite nice in the sense that actually it brought that togetherness. But I think as we move through this, you know, the individual impact on people is different. You know, everybody is 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 facing, you know, their own situations. Everyone's living situation is different. Everybody's health conditions are, you know, so we're all kind of facing that uniqueness in the way that we're feeling. Um, so I think for us, um, there's something about people being able to identify the things that might trigger them um, in terms of their mental health. So again, going back to that idea of self-care and those well-being action plans, we often talk about them in a work context. But why are we not as individuals thinking about what they look like for us? So I, you know, we'd recommend that everybody kind of has a well-being action plan, that everybody is able to start to think about the triggers that they might face in terms of their mental health. But then also on the flip side of that, thinking about the things that keep you well. So, you know, as an individual, what have the things that you've been that you've done over the, the, the past six months or even before that to kind of look after your mental health and well-being and think about how you can incorporate those into your kind of daily routine um, to make sure that you're able to prioritize uh, mental health as well as all of the other things that we're facing at the moment. Um, I think also it's really important that um, people know that there is information and support out there. Um, so, you know, we have uh, at Mind, we have the Mind Info line. We have a whole coronavirus hub on our website so that people can reach out if they if they need information. You know, if they're a parent and they need to know how to talk about their, to their child about coronavirus, there's lots of information there. So reach out to those kind of organisations. Reach out to Mind, Samaritan, Shout, Hospice UK and make sure you're making the best use of the services that they're providing. Um, and I think the last thing that I would say is that we just all need to be kind to ourselves. Um, we need to recognise that this is a really tricky time and it is having an impact on the nation's mental health. You know, minded a coronavirus survey with over 16,000 people and we know that, that the coronavirus is having a negative impact on people's mental health. But now really is the time to be kind to ourselves and to really think about the things that we can do in our daily lives to keep us well. So this is goodbye from Mentally If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, please contact the Samaritans on 116 123 or go to their website at samaritans.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a rate or review. Five stars would be lovely. Also, if you've enjoyed this, come and have a chat to us on Facebook. We've got a group called Mentally Yours. Also, we have a Twitter, which is Mentally YRS. See you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 